0: Father, this morning we just come to you. Almighty God, eternal word. The beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. Everything, Lord, was created by you, for you, through you. And as we are seated in thy house today, and as we offer our bodies by faith as living sacrifices, I pray you touch our ears Touch our minds. Help us to focus. Help us, Lord. Our minds drift. Our minds wander. So today by faith we offer our minds, O Lord. Help us to be focused. Help us not to miss what you are teaching us. Because not only our life on earth, but our eternal destiny will be determined by your word. And how we heard your word. Speak to us. Let your light come in. Let your light go into the deepest, most parts of our soul, dispelling the darkness that is hidden even from our own eyes. Only your word can do it, for it is a two-edged sword, more powerful than a two-edged sword, Lord. Cut deep, cut clean, and heal us. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Classroom, in a hostel, whatever, among believers. Okay, these things. The unbeliever sometimes will never come and say sorry. But actually it is the other way around today. The unbeliever comes and says sorry. The believer never does. Okay? Now he's talking about forgiveness. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. See, they were very genuine. They were not hypocrites. They were very genuine people. Peter is looking at Andrew, John is looking at James and say, Lord, increase my faith. If I have to keep forgiving this. Okay? Lord, increase my faith. See, one of the major demands of God, especially in the Lord's Prayer, the one single demand of God is forgiveness. An application of a real life of faith, God says, is found in that. We ask for faith for this and faith for that and faith for this and faith for... And God says, why don't you ask and believe for faith to forgive offenses? Why didn't you think that was the most important area in your life when you are believing for a car and a house? What about forgiveness? If you don't have a car or a house, you will still go to heaven. But you have an unforgiven heart, you will end up in hell. God says... Do you see what's important in the kingdom? How do you see? Increase our faith, the apostles said. Okay? You have to read it chronologically to understand how Jesus brings faith into the areas of our life which we seldom will. And then the apostles will come and say, the righteous shall live by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? He applies it. Now look at the next verses, 6 onwards. Verse 6 onwards, okay? 17, verse 6 onwards. The apostle said, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, planted in the sea, it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after sheep, would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down to eat, would he rather not say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, wait on me while eat and drink? After that you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. What are strange verses and in the middle two verses about faith. One about forgiveness, one about duty. What is Jesus talking here? Jesus is saying, do you see practical applications of faith in our day-to-day life? God says, biblical faith, the faith God talks about is not faith, if it is not demonstrated by faithfulness. If it is not demonstrated by faithfulness. Here is the servant. Okay? And God says, if your faith is genuine, you will continue serving your master faithfully, expecting nothing. That's proof of your faith. That's proof of your faith. See, that's what I said. Faith teachers mess up what faith is. So that they make it into something which we twist God's hand and grab it for him. The kind of boy we want for marriage, the kind of girl, the kind of car, the kind of job, the kind of house. They have made God into a spiritual ATM machine. And they will always point to themselves and say, look we got it without actually leaving much of the congregation very depressed. Because when they try to apply, they often, most often they realize it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And we have taken this part of faithfulness in our daily life to what God has called us. We have taken it off. Exercising faith, whether big or small, isn't a matter of a show. Or making bold statements and claiming big things on TV. It is often the humble, unseen, routine, day-to-day business of serving. Unseen, little duty of serving. Faithfully wherever God has placed you. It's an act of faith. And we don't realize often that is what God is looking for. And if you are living that kind of a life and you don't see these great exploits like you see in in TV, you don't have to be discouraged. God still considers you as a man or a woman of faith. Because you are faithful. And you are faithful before God. Sometimes just putting on your clothes... And going to work, despite how bad the environment is, how badly you are hurting and how little you understand what's happening in your life is the biggest act of faith you can do that day. Sometimes faith looks like a spouse praying in the waiting room. For the one who is in the surgery. The doctor comes out. And says. We do not know how. But when we opened him up or her up. There was no tumor. That's what faith looks like. But sometimes. Faith is equally true. When it could be another spouse. Sitting at the cemetery. Watching a casket being lowered into the ground. Peace, in peace, accepting the will of God. That is also faith. You cannot say only the first one is faith and the second one is not. Both are faith. Sometimes faith is standing in honesty and integrity in your workplace and getting a promotion. Sometimes faith is for the same action. Another one loses his job. Both is faith. The problem is in our carnal mind we want only the first one we are not willing to pay the price for the second one. But both are faith. And both are results of faith. You cannot put God in a box and say faith can work only this way. God says no. Not necessarily. Sometimes faith is starting a Bible study at college As a student. And it really takes off. And brings revival in the campus. Sometimes. Faith is to take that bible. To campus. And to be completely ostracized in campus. You are ridiculed. You are mocked. You don't save a single person. And for three years you are there. You are a mocked person. Both are faith. Both are results of the same faith. And you should be willing to accept either result. The problem is, if you accept only the result you see on TV and the testimonies you see on TV, it's a very misguided, warped faith where we have nullified the sovereignty of God, never understood the ways of God, and put God in a box and say, Lord, I believe you have to do it this way. And God says, I'm sorry, son, nobody has yet put me in a box. If you judge faith only by the triumphant, the positive results, you could end up absolutely wrong one day. You may end up bitter and angry and miserable when things do not happen the way you expected. So better be careful. There are two sides of faith. And the writer of Hebrews writes it most beautifully in Hebrews 11. In verses 32 to 35. And what more shall we say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith subdued kingdoms. Worked righteousness. Obtained promises. Stopped the mouth of lions quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Now that's what all we want. Lord, I believe, I wish Lord, after that you stopped and you didn't continue. But that's the part of faith I like and that's the part of base I believe in. That's what I hear on TV. and That's my favorite preacher. God says he's only preaching half the scripture. The other half is omitting you deliberately because he knows if he preaches the other half, he will lose your money. What is the second half? Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. They could have received deliverance if they compromised. They refused. They refused. They might obtain a better resurrection, let me put it across this 35, let me put it across in terms which we understand. We are safe, we are not being persecuted. But maybe you are going through, let us use that word, literal hell through your marriage. tortured in your marriage. But you refuse to leave when you have an option to leave. Where even the highest court in this country has made it very easy for you to walk out. You choose not to walk out because of your faith. And you could be a simple wife or a husband and nobody knows about your battle. God says, I see your faith. Hanging in there, Hang in there, he says, because of me. That's what God is talking about. Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a bitter resurrection. Still others have trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn into two, were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Did you see both sides? Did you see both sides? Let me ask you this question. How many preachers You read or you hear. Actually balances both. And then it comes to verse 39. And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith. Did you hear that? All this. The ones who quenched the flames. And the ones who were burned in the flames. Ones who shut the mouth of the lions. And the ones who were devoured by the lions. Ones who... Prison gates were opened and came out. Once were incarcerated and died in the prisons, all of them obtained a good report through faith. That's what the Bible is talking about. They were all commended for their faith. Group 1 and group 2. But we only want to be in group 1. And we look down upon those who are in group 2. And we create this guilt in the hearts of these ones through false preaching. You know why? You are suffering because you don't have faith enough. You don't have enough faith. You know what? You are caught in this situation because you don't have enough faith. While on the other hand, it could be their very faith that has brought this suffering into their lives. And they refused deliverance. If you walk by sight, they could have received deliverance. And they refused to walk by sight. They chose to stay. This is true biblical faith. It could could lead you into prison. Or lead you out of prison. Whatever the result, it is God's call. And our duty, response of faith, is to be faithful. Our response is to be faithful. If you read, I'm not turning there, if you read the book of Acts, same king, called Herod, he imprisons James, a little later, James' head is cut off. God didn't stop it. He takes Peter, imprisons Peter, God sends an angel, opens all the gates, sets him out. God says, both were my apostles, both were my servants, and both... Lived by faith. It was my decision. And both surrendered to my will. One to die, one to live. Our question is, can we accept that? Can we accept that? Because we have been fed. St- why I am saying this? Is this? See, prophecies, all those things are there. I also pray, Lord, I pray next year. Election results will be different and we have more security for your people. My question is, our job is to prepare people for any eventuality. In the army, they don't teach you to run. They teach you to fight. Okay. That's why I'm traveling all to the troubled places. Because there is trouble in all those places. And everybody came and told peace and security. And then destruction came. And when destruction came, they did not know how to stand. How to stand. When the day of evil comes, stand. And after you have done everything, stand. Stand. That's that's the biblical faith we are talking about both sides. Yes, God in his mercy and in his grace... In Romans chapter 12, he will say that he has given me the gift, the grace, the gift to increase wealth. So I have wealth. But the same Bible in Hebrews 13 will say I lost my wealth and my possessions because of my faith. Both the same God. You could be somebody who had experienced God's miracle happened, you regained your health another man could lose his entire health because of faith incarcerated in prison. What is God? My question is, when it comes to faith, and we hear about faith, and we talk about faith, have you ever factored in the sovereignty of God? Have you factored in the sovereignty of, could you allow God to be God? Because even the son said that, Father, can you take this cup away? Father can if you want. He can have, okay, I have plan B. Okay, son, you're not happy about the cross? Fine, plan B. Father said, no, I have only one plan. Son said, it's fine with me, Father. He didn't ask once. He asked three times. Paul also asked three times. Father, please, Lord, it's very embarrassing. I am the one who walks around, demons flee, demons run, sickness are cured, deliverance takes place. But I got this messenger from Satan making a fool of me all the time. Will you please let go? Father said, no. So understand. Because if we have been fed on a steady diet of one side of faith, the triumphant physically, by side triumphant side of faith, our faith has become lopsided. We look at Daniel. Wow, Daniel, Lord, shut the mouth of the lions. And he brought Daniel out. The actual statistics is the first century Almost all the believers who were thrown to the lions were killed by the lions. God didn't shut anybody's mouth. He didn't shut anybody's mouth. He didn't shut a single lion's mouth. So understand. okay? But faith has its origin always in God. Always in God. Origin. And you will say, Lord, what about that woman? Lord, it's a very strange. If faith is originates in you, What about that woman with the issue of blood? Even your son did not know she was around. Did her her faith have origin in God or in her? It's a trick question, right? Let's look at Matthew chapter 5 and then we go back. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. Oh, physicians make you suffer, okay? Okay. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse when she heard about Jesus. Faith comes from? So did it originate with her or did it originate with God? It originated with God. It didn't originate with her. She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. She heard. It didn't start with her. It started with God. She heard, she believed, measure of faith was given, and she acted on it. Where did the thought come from? Where did the faith to touch the hem of his robe come from? It came from God. But she had to act on it. My question to you is this. Why did Jesus stop? Okay, somebody touched, somebody got healed, let me go. Jairus is crying for his daughter. Why did he stop? Why did he reveal her? Why? Because faith always brings glory to God. Understand that. Genuine faith always brings glory to God. Otherwise, she would have quietly gone and told anybody, you all should be like me. I got my healing. That's why I said many, many testimonies when you're here, it's very little about God. It is so much about themselves. God says, if anybody is healed by God, remember, the faith was from God, the grace was from God, and the glory belongs to God. Come out. Who is that? And then he says, go. Your faith has healed you. So you must always ask this question. Does my faith glorify God? Because that is the End of faith. The end of faith is it always bring glory to God. See that? Our faith is always balanced. If faith does not lead to faithfulness in our day-to-day lives, our faith is unbalanced. Faith becomes distorted when our faith becomes faith in faith and not faith in God. And much, sadly, of today's teaching is faith distorted. This is what basically they teach. Listen carefully, okay? This is exactly, I'm not naming names because it wouldn't be proper, but almost all the big names in this movement, this is what they teach. I've summed it up exactly what they teach. This is what they teach.
1: God creates
0: by using faith, by the power of spoken words. And they will use Hebrews 1 and 2, 3, okay? Human beings are little gods capable of creating in the same fashion as God did. Human beings through faithful words can create or cause to come to pass that which is spoken. Then by one spoken words, health, wealth and prosperity can be created. This is what they actually believe in. This is what they actually believe in. You be very careful. This is what they actually believe in. Okay, I summed it up very carefully. Let me read it once again so you get it. How does God create it? Hebrews 11 says God created everything by faith. Everything by faith. By faith we believe that all the things seen and unseen were created by God. What are we? How did he create? Let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. And then we are all little gods. So we have the capacity to create with faith-filled words. And they will use Romans and bring Abraham into the picture. Okay, He called those things that are not. As, when did he call those things that are not? After God spoke to him. Actually, first he said, Lord, it is not impossible. It is not possible. Bless Ishmael, Sarah, laughed, everything. But God said, no. God is very clear. It is not through Ishmael. Okay, I will bless him, but it is not through Ishmael. It is through Sarah. And it is, Abraham was just repeating what God told him. God was right in the center of the picture. In this movement, God is not in the center. God is set apart. I have your word. I have your promises. Now I shall be God of my life. You know, this is what I want. Uh, how many bedrooms do you want? Okay. Four? Okay. You go and claim. Okay? I'll give from Deuteronomy, all this, okay? You shall have houses which you didn't build. So you don't have to worry about money. Okay? Okay? The wealth of the wicked... It is for the righteous. You are righteous. It doesn't matter how much you sin when you are saved, you are righteous. So that fellow who is not saved, who is working hard morning till evening, his money is yours. So you don't have to work, okay? Just believe and confess. His house will be emptied, you move in. <laughs> no. Practically this is, you have to look at where the theology origins from. And how they practice it and how they excite the crowd. Why is the crowd so excited? Crowd is so excited because now you're appropriating the power of God to fulfill all your carnal desires. Whom do you want to marry? No problem. Imagine. Have faith, say the right words and your whole life will work out the way you want it to be. Sadly, a whole generation has risen from this teaching where they are God and they use God and his power to fulfill their dreams. Yet the Bible very vehemently contradicts this. The best balanced definition of practical faith, is expressed by the three young Hebrew men in Babylon. That's the best practical explanation of faith. This is what they say. Shadrach Meshach Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We are not confused. We exactly know how our faith works out. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Next. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. We leave the result into God's hands. He may save. He may not save. But we know the application of faith. He is God. We are not. We worship him only. We only worship him. You don't bow down. If he wants to deliver, he can deliver. We'll never negate the power of God. To deliver, to heal, to set free. We'll never negate the power of God. God can heal, can raise the dead, all that. But whether he will or not, it's his prerogative, not mine. His prerogative, not mine. How he will, when he will, whether he will, that's all in his hands. I will not take the word of God and arm twist him. True faith never subverts the sovereignty of God. And true faith always seeks to please God. Let me tell you something else. Slightly scary, but true. When you take the sovereignty of God and you take words... And use words, even that those are spoken by God. And to have your will done in your life using power without submitting to that power. It's called sorcery. It's called witchcraft. It's called divination. That's exactly what they do. What is sorcery? Sorcery is using a supernatural power, tapping it. To fulfill your desire. That's sorcery. What have we done? Because of lack of balance. We have brought sorcery. Into the church. And by bringing sorcery. Into the church. In the past 30, 40, 50 years. Let's look at the most supposedly prominent Christian nation on earth, we have raised up a generation of young people who are drug addicts, alcoholics, sex addicts, porn addicts, you name it, they're addicts. Why? Because we taught them, you can use the power of God to apply into your lives for your own carnal thing. A generation, up who does not know God, but understands power. So you look at a generation in US, they're all into occult. Tea leaf reading, palm reading, what the Oja board, you name it, they are all into occult and they have no palms about it. Let's forget what the world did. That's not our business. Our business is to do what the church has done. The church has done. We allowed sorcery to come in. No. That's what God is talking about. You have to be very, 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 very careful. Because lopsided, unbalanced faith creates shaky marriages, shaky homes, shaky jobs, shaky churches. Because instead of tapping into the power of God through the back door in the name of God, sorcery comes in. Sorcery comes in. That's why in the modern day occult, the, the respectable modern day occult, the ones, the wizard, old days it was, they were called wizards and witches and astrologers and magicians. You can see them all through the Bible. Every pagan king had all these people because they needed sorcery to bring power in. Today they, they are called masters they call masters. Why are they called masters? You go to the lodges, you will see the masters are there who do the rituals. And all the rich, the famous, the actors, the Bollywood, Hollywood, everybody goes there. Because they know from there you get power to fulfill your dreams. You get it. It's easy, you get it. Career-wise, college students, everybody goes there. Because you give them what they want, the demons give you what you want. And the ones who are standing in the middle and making this happen, they are called masters. Why are they called masters? Because they are called masters because they have learned the art of mastering or controlling demons. That's why they are called masters. In God's kingdom, there are no masters. There are only servants. No masters, they're only... Even when the Son of God came, He came as a servant of the will of the Father. Be very careful where you get your theology from and what you hear and what you believe. One of the reasons why we see the foundations all being shaken, everything being shaken, is because the faith on which it was built was not real, it was not true, it was not biblical, it was very lopsided. And the powers that got in was not necessarily always the power of the Holy Spirit, it were other powers. That is what Jesus was warning us in Matthew 7, verses 24 to 20. Very familiar pattern, but Jesus says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. It did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So he's talking about a genuine faith which hears and obeys, hears and obeys, hears and obeys. And he says, when the storms of life come, when storms hit in your marriage, you are able to stand. When storms hit your home, you are able to stand. When storms hit your office, you are able to stand. When storms hit churches, you are able to stand because your faith was genuine was built on faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to God, not faithfulness to self. If it is faithfulness to self, then as the self desires, you can keep on changing. But if your faithfulness, your covenant is with God, then the object of your faith is God and what you want to do is please God. And not man. Understand, let me give you examples, okay, some of very misinterpreted, one one of the most misinterpreted scriptures by prominent speakers, preachers, okay, because I've heard them speak. Uh, okay, this also we will read about shaking, okay? Whose voice then shook the earth? Now he has promised, saying yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates a removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God. Not that God serve us. Grace is given. That we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. God is a consuming fire. Understand what grace means. Okay, we will come to that later. Okay, as an aside or a smaller portion towards the end. But let me give you one of the most misinterpreted verses by modern preachers, not ancient, old age. New preachers. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outer appearance, but Lord looks at the heart. I read scripture carefully, okay? We have read it this way, or we have been told this way. God does not look at the outside at all. God does not look at the outside at all. So be casual, man. Casual. Be cool. Be casual. God doesn't look at the outside at all. But that's not what it says. It says God does not see as man sees. God is the only one who can see both inside and outside. So what do these people all say? Many. God sees my heart. But what we are actually saying is our own high estimation of our own heart. It's a very misinterpreted words in all these churches. God doesn't look at the outside at all. God only looks at the outside. Why are you judging me? God sees my heart. Why are you judging me? God sees my heart. Let me show you from scripture. You don't have to believe anything that I say if it is not ratified by scripture. Because God has exalted his word above all his. Which verse is that? 138 verse 2. Okay, remember that. Always remember 138 verse 2. God has exalted his word above all his name. Genesis chapter 4. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And God respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So God looked at the, imagine this is Abel, this is Cain, okay? Just ima- just illustration, okay? God looked at his heart, God looked at his offering. And he accepted the offering. God looked at his heart and he did not receive his offering. Does that mean his offering was bad? No. Bible actually says his offering was excellent. Excellent. So God, on the other hand, turn it around. Abel's heart, he looks. Good heart. His offering is bad. Does he accept it? Want. He looks at both. It looks at both. God looked at Abel and God looked at the offering. God looked at the inside and God looked at the outside. Inside was faith and outside was works according to faith. So both the inside and the outside match. And God accepted. Cain on the outside was excellent. Good. But Bible says, the problem was inside. In Hebrews 11 and verse 4, problem says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. Excellent? More excellent. But what was the difference? The difference was faith. Your body is the? What is your body? Temple Temple of the living God. God sees my heart. What I do with my body doesn't matter. I can smoke like a chimney. It doesn't bother God at all. I can go out in two legs, come back on four. It doesn't matter because God sees my? You see, God sees my heart. So it doesn't matter that my hemline is, my neckline is down and my hemline is up. It doesn't matter. God sees my heart. What I tell them is that God sees your hand and when you bend down, men see many other things. You better be careful. Because man looks at the outside. Most misinterpreted gospel, the scripture by today's churches to allow carnality to be manifested mocking a God who says, your body is my temple. It's my temple. Maybe the outer covering but that's that's where I reside. Case study two. Out of two witnesses, everything should be established, right? Right? God says in the book of Hebrews, everything shall be shaken. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. The first time he did it, was it in Noah's time. Everything that could be shaken was shaken with water. Everything. To one man, God spoke. And this is what is written about that man. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Everything God commanded, he did. Look at one of the specific, many things God told him to do. But one of the very specific things he asked him to do is found in verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it. Inside? Outside. With pitch. If you covered the outside and left the inside alone, the water would have gotten. If you had covered the inside and left the outside alone, the water would have still got in. After some pressure came in. After a point, it would have broken through. God says your inside and your outside should match. If it doesn't match, as the pressure increases, you will start compromising. You will not have the strength because the like Babylon, the fire hasn't been heated up yet. God allows the temperature to go up, to go up, to go up. He allows. And he says, you are not matching inside and outside. You will not be able to withstand the power, the pressure. Not be able to withstand. That's what we read from the book of Daniel. How the four people could withstand the pressure is because they're inside and they're outside matched. matched. And the pressure kept on increasing and they still stood till the end. Kings come, dispensation comes, regimes come and change. They are still standing there. Why? Because they could handle pressure. Why could they handle pressure? It's because they're inside and outside match. So slowly, whatever is inside should ultimately show outside. Because in so many ways, our outside is a manifestation of what is inside. But our outside always does not have to be a manifestation of our inside if you don't accept the person of God. And him has been always good. God is always interesting. It's interesting about the children of Israel. You know, if you go to the Middle East, even now you go to Dubai or any of these places, you will see all of them look the same. The Arabs all will wear their white long dress and this thing, no? You go to Jewish system, you will see the Orthodox Jews. They all look the same. They all look the same outside. So if you're talking about Israel coming out, they all look the same outside. God said, no, my people will look still different outside. What? Put a blue ribbon on them. So if you saw two men walking on the road, dressed the same way, all you had to look was at the hem of the robe, you know one belonged to God and the other did not. God says, you will be identified by that. And the woman with an issue of blood wound on her knees and touched that blue riband and she was healed. Because that was the identity, he belonged to God. What is your identity? That you belong to God, that the world sees. What is your identity? On the other hand, you can be absolutely rebellious against God. You don't believe in him, but you like what he is. Some of the things he gives you, but you are mad at him. You are fighting him. But outside you have this coat and dress and all. That's what we're talking about the first generation. The anointing was upon them. Their clothes did not wear off. Their shoes did not wear off. The food they ate gave them. Health, sickness free. But the souls were... Wasting away. It didn't touch the inside. The manna they ate. Never touched their inside. Scripture very clearly says. Their souls. Wasted away. God sent leanness into their souls. So I am not saying the outside alone matters. No. The inside doesn't tally with the outside. The outside doesn't make any difference. But if the inside you are genuine. At some point it will manifest. Outside. Remember, faith has its work. On that day, when the shaking took place, there was only one proof. You had to be waterproof. On that day, when you are judged, you have to be fireproof. And you will never be truly be fireproof, 100% fireproof, unless you ask the Lord consciously, Baptize me with fire now. So on that day, I am fireproof. That's why John said, the one who comes after me, I am not even worthy to untie the thongs of his sandals. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In the book of Malachi says, he sits there like the refiner's fire and the launderer's soap. So that on that day, we can come through Fire. This doesn't happen in one day, but get your basics always, always, always right. Faith is progressive. It is increasing. It should increase. And it's not shown in these manifestations of power. It should be shown in this steady increase in obedience to the will of God. That's actual growth in faith. The manifestations of power, if you looked at Gideon, it was increasing. But the man actually was getting more disobedient inside. Okay. The actual barometer is, am I growing in my obedience to God? That is the main thing. Now I'm going to take a tangent here so that we understand. Okay. Tangent means a slight turning. Okay. In, not, not like a mathematics tangent, but a slight turning. Okay. Listen very carefully. This is very important. Very, very important. Listen very carefully. Let us look at the most important aspect of faith. The most important thing faith does. The most important work of faith. If faith doesn't do that work, we are lost. Ephesians 2 eight. This is the most important work that faith does. For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace, through faith. Okay? Even if other works we have in experience, if we experience this work alone, we are still safe. If you have experienced the other works of faith, you have not experienced this, you are in big trouble. So the most important work of faith is through faith, we receive grace that saves us. Now let me still correct a few perceptions we have our problem is no let's be honest shall we be honest in the house of god at least one of our major issues is that we are biblically illiterate we are biblically so anybody who comes with a hundred member choir and some smoke machines and lights and he gives us a definition of something which is the bible we take it as gospel truth without ever checking the bible I'm not saying some of the definitions are per se wrong, but they are not fully right either. One of the most misunderstood, I'm not saying I understand it fully, but I'm saying one of the most misunderstood words in the Bible is this word called grace. So we have this acronym. Everybody knows, you know, acronym of grace. And we love it. What is that? God's riches at Christ's expense. Oh, we love it. It sounds so cool. So sweet. By the way, is it there in the Bible? No? So we have, suddenly we see this new set of theologians, all young, all smart. Do you know what grace is? And the old theologian says, I took 40 years to understand. You know it? Yeah, what is it? God's riches that Christ experience. This man is scratching his head. Where did you get that from? I'm not saying it's wrong. Okay, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's right either. What happens, the problem is we take somebody's definition of one of the, the most important factor in our life and we make it into scripture. Another definition you hear. This is grace. Unmerited favor of God. Have you heard that? Let me ask you this question. Is it there in the Bible? So why is it that we spout these definitions which we can't find in the Bible, neither prove it from the Bible? So we need to understand, see we are, we are called to walk by faith, but we are also visual creatures. We are in this body sight, right? We see, we hear, we smell, we taste. So we are tangible human beings. Shall we try to put grace in tangible form where we can understand? Let's look at scripture, John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace and truth. So you know what? If you and I had seen Jesus, which we can't, but we see the word, we see his life, and the Spirit shows us, this is a man who walked full of grace. So If grace had legs, that's how you walk. If grace was tangible, that's how you feel. If grace could talk, that's how you talk. If grace could hear, that's how you hear. If grace could work, that's how grace would work. But scripture doesn't say he came full of grace. It says he came full of grace and full of truth. Okay? Now let's again look at scripture. Here is Jesus full of grace, full of truth. Look at scripture. John chapter 14, verse 16 to 17. I will pray the father and he will give you another helper. He says, I'm going. I'm going. Bye-bye. I'm going. But I will send somebody. My father will send a helper. Somebody. He may abide you with forever. And he is the spirit of? Oh, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So he sends somebody just like him. Who actually happens to be. God's spirit, and God's spirit is the spirit of truth. Satya ke Atma, spirit of truth. One more scripture, verse 16, chapter 16, verse 13. John chapter 16, verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of... Keep this in mind, okay? Always. It's like maths now. Okay, Think Pastor Vijay is teaching for a minute. John 1, 14, Jesus came full of grace... Full of truth. And I will send somebody just like me. He is the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit, one of his names, or one of his major titles is he is the spirit of truth. Now let's go to Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. I will pour on the house of David. We are the house of David. Because Jesus is of the house of David, and we are in Jesus. If we are in Jesus, we belong to the house of David spiritually. On the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, we are inhabitants of Jerusalem, Hebrews will say, we have come to the Jerusalem, the spiritual Jerusalem, the holy assembly of God's people. What will I pour upon them? The Spirit, S is capital, look, okay, so the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of? Spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me, whom they have pierced. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and he is the spirit of grace. One more. One, one is not enough. Now we always need two. In scripture to establish anything we need two. It, I didn't put that first because it's a little scary. So let's look at it a second. Hebrews 10. How much worse punishment do you suppose will he be taught? thought worthy who has trampled the son of God underfoot counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted? Spirit of grace. Remember these things. Okay? Peter told, Ananias, you lied to the Holy Spirit. He told Sapphira, you tested the Holy Spirit. In efficiency he will say, do not quench the Holy Spirit. The Thessalonians he will say, do not uh, Grieve the Holy Spirit. The Thessalonian Church he will say do not quench the Holy Spirit. To Hebrew people he will say do not insult the Holy Spirit. High things you shouldn't do with the Holy Spirit. Be careful. Okay? The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Grace and the Spirit of Truth. And how did Jesus come? How did Jesus come? Full of grace. Full of truth. And you know what John the Baptist says about Jesus? In John 3 and verse 34. For him, he whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for God does not give the Spirit with measure. by measure. What does it mean? Jesus was filled without measure. How was he filled without measure? Because he was full of truth and full of grace. Now let me give you a math. We understand little maths, no? Your filling of the Holy Spirit is proportional to your filling of truth. The filling of grace is proportional to your filling of truth. The more truth you receive, the more grace you receive. That was an aside. So Jesus was filled without measure. Manifested on earth, full of truth, full of grace. So this, the two sides of the Holy Spirit we experience. Truth and grace. When that flows in balance know what it is called? When we have this balance of the spirit of truth and the spirit of grace, we have balancing truth and grace, Romans 8 will call it something else. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the... How do you walk according to the spirit? In truth, in grace. In truth, in grace. God shows us the truth. I look at the truth and say, Lord, I can never keep it. He says, I know it. To keep it, you need grace. Here is grace. Take it. You keep the truth. Then he shows you another truth. You, I cannot keep it. He says, I know that. You take it. So, you walk in the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life. When your truth and grace balance, it becomes the law of life in Christ. It becomes a law by itself. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That is how you don't walk under condemnation. It is not that God understands, God sees my heart, I can do whatever I want outside and I am not guilty. God says no. How do you walk without condemnation? The spirit of truth says, you know, you went wrong here today. Lord, forgive me. He says, Lord, give me grace that I don't go that route again. You know what? You don't walk under condemnation. You don't walk under condemnation. Because you are understanding this is what salvation is all about. And in that process, even if you fall seven times and seven times you rise up and come back and say, Lord, mercy, I went wrong because the truth is convicting me. I went wrong. Please give me grace. God gives you grace. Now that is not the answer to keep on falling. That is misusing, abusing grace. Paul will say in another place, you have taken the grace of God in vain. And you are using the grace of God for something else which was never meant it to be. So understand, okay? We will come further into it. So that is what, in very simple, tangible terms, what is grace? Grace is the power of the Holy Spirit. What is grace? It is the power of the Holy Spirit. And my question to you is, why do you need power of the Holy Spirit if you don't want to keep truth? So you don't want truth, but you have your own desires and visions and dream. Now you're appropriating the power to fulfill this dream and that becomes your testimony. I'm sorry, that is witchcraft. That is sorcery. On the other hand, you appropriate this power to keep truth. In the process, you may shut the mouth of the lions, so or the lions may consume you. But the power of God's grace is being manifested, and this is the power of the Holy Spirit. This grace is the actual prayer, heart's cry of Paul. Look at it so beautifully in Ephesians. You remember when we began ten years ago, every Sunday we used to pray this before the sermon. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. He says, I hope your eyes open, your spiritual eyes open. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He says, I really, really wish your eyes would open that we realize what God intends us to be in heaven. What God is preparing for us. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him on the right hand side in the heavenly places. Above all power, he says, you know what, One, I, want to see you, I want you to see your, 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 your God's ordained destiny in heaven. But you will never reach that destiny unless you understand the greatness of his power. What is the greatness of power? Lord, give me an example of the greatness of the power. What is Jericho walls fall down? He says, no. Joshua's victories? No. Moses great? No. Elijah's? No. Elisha? He says, what was the greatest manifestation of God's power? He says, when the Holy Spirit lifted Jesus from the dead and raised him never to die again. He says, that is the greatest manifestation of God's power. The question is, the mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now let me ask, I already gave you a clue, but let me ask you, who raised Jesus from the dead? How do you know? Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Who is the one who dwells in us? It's the very spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. It was the Holy Spirit. You see, grace is the power of the Holy Spirit. How am I saved? I'm saved by grace. Through faith. What did the Holy Spirit do? He raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in the highest places. So what does he want to do with every believer? Ephesians 2 verse 6, same thing. He has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The work is the same. So when you hear about grace, it is the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me listen carefully now, okay? Even more carefully so that you don't get it wrong. Explain it further so that our faith is built on that solid rock, the word of God alone. The grace of God is the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God's own spirit, the power of the spirit of Jesus. But power on itself... We can learn to control it. When we talk about power, not the power of the Holy Spirit, when we talk about power. Man's first breakthrough was when he learned to handle fire. He learned to handle fire. Out of that came so many inventions. He learned to handle power, electricity. You harness this power, it can be made useful for a lot of stuff. Destructive or constructive powers. So power can be handled. The problem is if you detach the person of the Holy Spirit from the power of the Holy Spirit, you are running into trouble. You are running into trouble. You can for a season. See, we are so much used to power like I want the light off, light off, light on. Power is in my control. Fire off, fire on. Bike on, bike off. Car on, car off. AC on. You see from the morning we woke up, we're used to controlling power. You go first, turn the tap, water comes in because you have learned to harness water and bring it into your house. You don't have to sit anymore on the floor. You sit on well-cushioned chairs, because you have learned to harness power in so many ways. You are not sitting there and lighting flint stones and lighting fire. Everything. You see, we have learned to harness power, 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 power. And then we hear about the Holy Spirit has the power of God. We detach the power of God from the person of God. That is Actually what many faith teachers do, they detach the power of God from the person of God and says be smart and harness the power of God. Don't you see my life? Don't you see what I have? So if something happens through faith, because Power flows through faith. Grace comes through faith. So if I can control that power, then I can control my situations. Like I said, that's sorcery. That's sorcery. We are on very dangerous ground here. Very dangerous ground here. We are changing through the pulpits. We are changing the entire unchangeable holy divine nature of God into a power monger. Because that's what the devil is. You give me what I want, I will give you what you want. Abraham, the father of believers, blessed by the king Melchizedek of Jerusalem, blessed, bread, wine, everything, communion overcomes. Berah is waiting, king of Sodom. Give me the souls, take all the money. Give me the, take all the, what does the devil say? Give me your soul, take all the pleasures, whatever you want. Give me your soul, that's all I ask. I don't want anything from you. I'll give you what you want. Just give me your soul. Well, God says, I have given my everything for your soul. And if you don't give me your soul, I don't want anything from you. And we have a new theology which says God demands nothing. God understands. He sees your heart. The rest is for yours to use as you want. God says, that's not salvation. That is deception. So sorcery is being passed on as the gospel. God says, be careful, understand the power and the person. Don't separate it. Don't separate it. You're on very, very dangerous ground. He says, let me show you examples from the Bible so that you will believe. Judges chapter 14 and verse 19. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. Who is this? Samson. Spirit of the Lord came upon mightily, manifestation of power. He went to Ashkelon, he killed 30 Philistines, took their clothes and gave it to his girlfriend's father. Chapter 15, verses 3 to 5. Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Samson went, caught 300 foxes, he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, put a torch between each pair of tails and... He had set the torches on fire. He let the foxes go into the standing grain. Okay, to get catch one fox is humanly difficult. To catch 300 foxes and then tie their tails, it is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. It's simply impossible. Because you don't have seen foxes. I grew up with them. and Often I thought they were dogs and they took my chickens and ran. Then I realized they were not dogs, they were foxes. Okay, you can't you can't outrun them, they are sly. This guy catches three hundred and ties them tail to tail, put a burning in between and said to them, This is the power of the Holy Spirit. Next one. Judges 15 verses. Uh, so they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you. This is the Israelites to escape the Philistines. But we surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes, brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. And then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. The ropes that were on his arms became like flax that it burned with fire. His bonds broke, broke loose from his hands, and he found a fresh Job of a donkey, reached out his hand, took it and killed a thousand men with it. See, whenever he's doing these things, please remember, it's the power that comes upon him. It's a supernatural anointing of the Holy Spirit. Power of the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he does it. And God is merciful. He's fought a thousand. He's so tired. He's, he's almost to the point where he's dying. And God shows mercy to this man. He became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord, said, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. Now shall I die of thirst and fall in the hand of the uncircumcised? God split the hollow place that is in Lehi; Water came out, he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Look at God's mercy. Opened up, water came, he drank, he revived. Then Judges 16 and verse 20. Then he, yeah, 16 and verse 20. I've given it, right? Yeah. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know. He did not know something this time. The Holy Spirit had gone. Holy Spirit had gone. Why? Because so many times he tested the Holy Spirit using the Holy Spirit for his own purposes. Then finally God said, You're making me into something which I am not. And he left. And he left. Okay, one example won't do. We need two at least. Let's stick to scripture. First Samuel chapter 10 verses 9 to 11. So it was. When he had turned his back to go from Samuel, the God gave him another heart and all those signs came to pass. When they came there to heal there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. Who is this? King Saul. The Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied. And they all thought, wow, has the son of Kish also among the prophets? They were stunned. The guy from the tribe of Benjamin, the Spirit of God has come upon him and he's prophesying. And the prophets recognized the Spirit of God upon him. That is how King Saul began his journey. Then there is an issue in Israel. And chapter 11, verse 6 says, Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news and his anger was greatly aroused. Okay, If you become ever angry, be sure the Spirit of God is upon you. Okay, are you seeing it? Then the slide slowly begins. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 3. Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistine that was in Geba and the Philistines heard of it. Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land saying, let the Hebrews hear. What did he do? God is giving him victory. He's blowing his own trumpet. Santosh James ministries, the power of the Holy Spirit come and experience. That's what Saul did. Power is God's glory is mine. That's how the slide begins. See, all these people I have noticed, they run for a season. Run for a season. And then they fade away. They don't stand there. Because the, the pattern is that in the Bible. God doesn't share his glory with anyone. He blows his trumpet. And from there, you will see the slide begins. By the time he's getting disqualified, he's disobedient. And by 15 verses 10 and 11... And the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set Saul as king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments and it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. Okay. The genuine man of God. God is saying on one side to the prophet, you know what? I am really up mad at myself for making him king. Okay. That's what God is saying. When God is telling this to the prophet, what do you think Saul is doing? next verse we'll say. When Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel indeed. He set up a monument for himself. God is saying on one side, I'm really mad that I made, I'm grieving I made this man king. Samuel is grieving over this man. This man is making a monument saying, great man of God, I am. See the contradiction the spiritual realm and the physical realm? Absolute contradiction. Because the Holy Spirit is not power. It's a person. And you detach the person from the power and start using the power without glorifying the person. The person will leave. And once the person leaves, you are what we call dog meat for the enemy. Because he will never forget what you did to him in the past. The Philistines could never forget what Samson did to them in the past. So the first thing they do is blind him. then chain him up and make him grind. If God hadn't shown mercy, he would have died a miserable death. But God gave him victory because he repented. You see what's happening over here? Saul is building a monument. Well, God is grieving about this man. The prophet is grieving about this man. And then finally we see, not finally... In 1 Samuel 16, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Next verse. Interesting. You read in the Bible you will never see this anywhere else. Anywhere else. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord. Meaning God allowed it, troubled him. Only place in the entire Bible you will see something like that. Why? Because this is God's order. He will never have two kings at the same time. You cannot have two heads in a home. You cannot have two heads in an office. You cannot have two heads in a church. You cannot have two kings in a kingdom. Once he anoints one, he removes the spirit. He will sit in the throne and pretend he is king. But God says for me that boy is king. Because I have anointed him and taken my spirit. What makes you the head is the spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God has departed, it doesn't mean how big your crown is. It means nothing to God and nothing in the heavenly realms. What makes you a victor? What makes you a leader? What makes you a conqueror? What makes you? It is the Spirit of God. Here anointing is taking place, there the Spirit is leaving. Here Spirit is coming, there Spirit is departing. Be careful about how we deal with the Spirit of God. You see, we need to understand what grace is. Grace is the power of the Holy Spirit. Grace is the power of God's Spirit. How am I saved? Through grace. What is that grace? Grace. That power he exerted on Jesus by raising him from the dead and seated him in the highest of high places. He says the same power is what raises you up and seats with him. It's by grace you are saved. But it is the power of a person. In sorcery, the person doesn't matter. Only the power matters. It doesn't matter which demon it is. Do you know the names of demons? No one the names of demons. It doesn't matter which demon it is. As long as you get his power, it is fine. How come you have multiplicity of gods in pagan religions? Each one chooses their God, chooses who answers his desires and who gives him power. They choose accordingly. And we try to change God into that manner. God says no. Faith doesn't work that way. What I want to tell you today is don't misunderstand faith. Don't misunderstand grace. You and I are saved by grace through faith. And through faith, always grace should flow in. But when grace is flowing in, don't forget the person of grace. It is the Holy Spirit. This is what God will tell Zerubbabel. We all know that, right? It's not by might. It's not by power, but by my Spirit says the Lord. Do you know what it says there? Zachariah. He answered and said to him, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by spirit says the Lord. Who are you, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and you shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of Zerubbabel is a type of Jesus Christ. Come here. Ajay, come here. Ajay, right? Come, come up, don't worry, nobody will make you preach, don't worry. <laughs> okay. Imagine, okay? He got saved today. Okay? He got saved today. So the Holy Spirit puts what is called the cornerstone. The cornerstone. The foundation stone of faith. By grace, through faith, he is saved. And the battle begins. As he grows and he grows and he wins and he grows and he grows and he grows and he grows and he grows. And it's all by grace and grace alone. One day the work is finished and the capstone is put. Shouts of grace, grace, Grace. It is entirely the work of the Holy Spirit from the beginning till the end. So we are told, don't lie to him, don't test him, don't grieve him, don't quench him, don't insult him. Because if he ceases his work, in your and my life, we are finished. We are unfinished structures in the wilderness. You read carefully the history of Israel. He said, you grieved my spirit in the wilderness. Your father is my spirit. That's why the father says, if anyone sins against the father, it will be forgiven to you. You sin against the son, it will be forgiven to you. Be careful about you. Don't offend the Holy Spirit. Don't offend the Holy Spirit. Because if he doesn't work, we are done. We are done. So understand what faith is. Understand what grace is. The actual tangible form of grace is the power of the living God. So Christ is the cornerstone, the foundation stone, and the work begins. I was saved. And the work continues. And continues. And continues. And in key, finish it finishes its natural Conclusion, where God says, Christ has been formed in you, capstone is for. And He says, this structure can become part of my bride. Allow the work to be completed. Rest are all unfinished structures. And that's what faith is all about. Faith is about another day. Another day. And unless we know our scripture, we will get fooled. This, uh, you are the, if you are, anybody is in Christ Jesus, you are a seed according to the promise, heir of Abraham, all that. And you need to ask that man, what did Abraham inherit? What did Abraham inherit? Oh, you can have houses and... Uh, sir, let me ask you a question, sir. Did Abraham ever live in a house? Did he ever settle in one place? Uh, no. Did he ever own a property? Yes, a graveyard. Do you know your Bible, sir? See, he can fool you only if you don't know your scripture. Abraham never owned a piece of property. Scripture says he walked for 100 years, lived in tents. Why? He was looking forward to a city whose foundations were old. See, do you see this? You see, when you look at a picture, a painting, a picture, a picture cannot be a picture Unless there is a background. We didn't get it. If this background is white, you won't be able to read anything. Why are you able to read this? See, when we look at this, we forget the background without realizing, without the background, this is not possible. So Revelation 20, the background is hell. 21-22 is heaven. You will never appreciate heaven unless you see the background of hell. What you are saved from. That's why Jesus preached more about hell and very little about heaven. Heaven is suspense. When you go there, you can see. And if you don't go there, there's no point talking to you about it. So let me tell you about the place you shouldn't go. Background matters. Salvation has no meaning unless there is a possibility of being lost. The gospel cannot be good news unless there is bad news. When you say gospel is a good news, you should ask them, what is the bad news? Understand. You read scripture, study scripture. Why? Because our job is to prepare people for difficult days and difficult times. The only thing that will sustain you it's genuine faith. If your husband or your wife is the best loving person or not, God bless you. But, it's answer to your prayers, your faith worked. Your husband is the most terrible man after Ahab is so close to Ahab. Or maybe Manasseh. But because you have a covenant with him, you need to hang in there. You know what? You need faith. And you need grace. You need grace. Without grace, you cannot hang in there. To stay and to leave, you need grace. God is bound only by one thing, His word. He's not bound by anything else. What does He give me faith for? He gives me faith to live His life. He gives me grace to live his life. The problem is, through that time, are you faithful? Are we faithful? That was you're talking about. The whole issue about faith came in. That was what you're talking about. Are you faithful? Lord, I am confessing in the classroom, I am the head, not the tail. In Deuteronomy, you wrote that to Moses, you said that claim and you shall believe it according to your mouth, life, and death is in the power of the tongue. God says, All said and done. But why are you cheating in the class? Are you faithful? Teacher teaches for 45 minutes, 40 minutes you are sleeping. What is this called? Lord, I believe in my officer shall be the head. He says, I also believe in all that. But my question is, half the time you are on WhatsApp. The other half you are on Twitter and Facebook. And only when the manager comes, you suddenly type something which you does not understand, you don't understand. Are you faithful? So what have you made God into is my question. What have you made God into? See, we are making God into images after our own liking. God says, be careful. Careful. Because once a person is gone then it becomes my faith my money my time my rules. God says who said so? That's what people say, no? Your money. God says but I thought I said in my word the earth and the fullness belongs to me the gold and silver are mine and you are saying my money. Now don't tell me this is my time. God said, I thought I created time and there is going to be a time when time will be no more. And I thought it was my time and not your time. My faith. God says, I thought it was my faith. That's why the Holy, Saul who began with the Holy Spirit ended up with the witch sorcery. Don't lose your faith. Let your faith be real. Let it be correct. Let it be true. Be very, very careful. God is looking for faith. That's why it is interesting in the whole Bible of Hebrews chapter 3. It talks only about two people. One about Moses and one about Jesus. It says in the entire household of God, Moses was faithful as a servant. Jesus was faithful as a son, and their works are not mentioned at all. Scripture doesn't say Jesus. Moses was considered faithful because of the ten blakes, he split the Red Sea, brought nothing. He was faithful. Some of you may have nothing to show outwardly, but you have been faithful and working out faithfulness in your daily. Simple, hard lives at home and nobody sees you. But God says, I see. Faithful. As a student, faithful. As a wife, faithful. As a mother, faithful. Faithful. God says, that's faith. It takes faith to be faithful. Genuine faith. And you look at the TV and say, Lord, God says, don't worry about them. A day is reserved for them. Balance it. On the other hand, if you are called to do something and say, Lord, please don't push me. I'm very comfortable in my small little God says, that is not being faithful. It's not being faithful. It's not being faithful. Be faithful. Be counted. Let your, let your anointing that comes, it's because of the person and not just the power. Person of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, as we close, just thank God, right? Shall we stand? Balance, balance. One of the reasons why I tell you this is I meet literally a year. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of simple pastors who are very faithful. They are little, little flocks, very faithful. But they are so depressed and discouraged because they have been termed as people of no faith. So they don't have crowds. They don't have props. They don't have buildings. But they are very faithful. Some of them don't even rest one day a week. They are out, out winning souls, taking care. Be very careful about how you study and what you hear and what you receive. Doesn't matter who it is, even me. Anything you hear, cross check. What does the Bible have to say? What does God have to say about it? That's where life lies. That's where stability comes from. That's where strength comes from. What does God have to say about it? That's, that's the, ultimately that's the only thing that matters. God saying at the end, well done. My good end? Faithful son. Well done. Good and faithful. faithful. Shall we look to the Lord? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you, we just praise you, Lord. We pray for this nation, Lord. There's such a struggle, such a battle over this nation. And your church is at the receiving end. And I pray, Father, people will not be disheartened or discouraged. They will not look for fleshly solutions or carnal means. They will go as the apostles went back to the upper room and say, Lord, you hear the threatenings? You hear what is happening? Give us boldness to speak. They were not asking the enemies to be shut down they were asking for more power to stand up that's real faith and your word says oh lord you shook that place up and fill them all again with your holy spirit that's all we are asking for the young and the old they face enormous pressure in school in college in their workplaces some in their homes with unbelieving parents or spouses what we are asking is the boldness to stand for what we know is true. For what is truth. We are not asking your power for any pet dream of ours. Help us to stand as Daniel's three friends stood. Confess your power. You can save us. You cannot. You may not save us. But we have only one option. We don't have two options. To serve you if you save us. And turn our backs if you don't. That's not an option Lord. We have only one option. You are God. And there is none beside thee. Whether you save us of a situation. Or not. We bow only to you. There is no other name we will call upon. There is no other face to whom our knee will bend. There is no other word we will confess but your word. Give us that conviction. Give us that strength. Give us that power. Help us to be faithful. Faithful. As Moses in the house of God. As a servant. Faithful as your son. As a son in our father's house. Help us to be faithful. Help us to always, Father, honor and rever the person of your Spirit. Forgive us, O Lord, every time we grieved you. We lied to you. We tested you. We quenched your fire. We grieved. And I pray, Father, nobody is here Who has trampled upon your Holy Spirit. Insulted. No Lord. Nobody I know. Otherwise they wouldn't be here in this place. Help us to walk. Closely with your Spirit. Allowing him. To do. His work in us. So one day the capstone can be put over every life. With cries of grace. Grace. Grace to it, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this place. Once again, I pray for this place, this college, for the principal, the other nuns, the teachers, the staff, the kids who come here, everyone. There are few here who studied in this place. I pray, Father, you bless them. May your presence tarry here even after we leave. May your presence tarry here, Lord. So that they will know that you visited this place on Sunday. Be with your people. Go before us. Go with us. And guard us. Protect us. Preserve us, Lord. Thank you, Father. Now by faith, believing the word of God has sanctified us. By faith, we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. For Father, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Forever and ever. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.